Well, good morning. It is wonderful to be with you today, to see the good work that the Lord is doing here, but also to see the good work that Seth and his team have accomplished here. It's very satisfying. I hope it is for you as well uh, to recount the journey that this church has been on from its beginnings to where it is now. It's really um, it's inspirational and well done, Seth. It's really evidence of good leadership. So, so I'm also bishop of the diocese. I'm also the rector of a parish. Um, I have a value for that. I think sometimes bishops separated from parishes can create difficult rules for churches to follow and or say unhelpful things because they have no congregation to say what <laughs> and so um, I am rector of a parish in Mount Pleasant which is on Highway 17 North but Charlestonians will say it's east of the Cooper makes no sense to me um, but I'm rector of a parish in the old village of Mount Pleasant and I would say in the 22 years I've been there and certainly in the 30 some years since my ordination uh, church has changed markedly. Uh, not too long ago, a young man who has been flitting around the edges of St. Andrews, um, I didn't know if he was looking for a place to land, he was just flitting around, uh, made contact with me, asked if he could come in to see me. And after a very few minutes of chit-chat, he said, what do you want from me? If I join your church, what do you want from me? Now that took me aback. I felt that it felt like a consumeristic question. Uh, membership has its benefits uh, in, in a sense, whereas in the church, membership has its responsibilities. Um, and it just felt really, really transactional. And so I thought for a moment and I said, well, how about we look at what I want for you rather than what I want from you? And here's what I said I wanted for him. I said, I want you to know the joy and satisfaction of knowing Jesus. I want you to know the presence and power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. I want you to experience a sense of security and the closeness of a heavenly Father. I want you to be part of a church where you are known and loved by others. I want you to experience the wonder of the Lord's pleasure in you as you reach out beyond yourself to minister to those He brings across your path. I want you to have the assurance that as you navigate this life, no matter what may befall you, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ. So this is what I want for you. And to be honest, friends, it's what I want for you. And it's what I want for this church. And it's what I want for our diocese. And so the question that emerges, for me at least then, is how do we attain this? So that'll be our question as we go into our sermon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our truth. May the Spirit be our guide, our teacher, our comfort, our counselor. And may Christ's surpassing glory be our supreme concern. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen. So as we begin, a few questions, right? How do we attain to the life that Scripture says is ours in Christ? How does the life of Christ who dwells in us, if we're in Christ, He's in us, 
How does the life of Christ work itself out in our lives practically? How do we live a life that's characterized by confidence, right? Not arrogance, but confidence and assurance. How do we grow in lives that are increasingly marked by contentment and gratitude? How do you develop the ability to turn the other cheek and to bear the hurt without lashing out? How do you cultivate kindness and gentleness? How do you lessen your defensiveness? And we get the beginning of an answer in our text today from 2 Peter chapter 1. And the first thing we see in verses 3 and 4 is that God has given us all that we need to live the life He's called us to live. And it's important for you to see this. Because I meet many Christians who are fixated on what they think they cannot do, on their weaknesses and inabilities, on the things they believe have disqualified them from living a fruitful Christian life that's increasingly marked by the character of Christ. But God has provided us all that we need. Listen. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And we'll see any number of things in this section from 2 Peter, but the first thing we see is that we have God's power. Without God's power, there is no hope of living a fruitful life in Christ, right? Without God's power, there's no hope of knowing Christ, no hope of responding to Him. Scripture tells us that apart from Christ, we are dead in our trespasses, not weak, not sick, not injured. We are dead in our trespasses, incapable on our own of turning to Christ Jesus. You know, I meet tired people all the time, tired of trying, tired of trying to win favor with God, tired of trying to be good enough, tired of trying to maintain the facade of whatever facade it is that they're trying to maintain. And this is the world to which you and I are sent. But we do not go into this world alone. And so when the needs of this world feel overwhelming, right, and they will, and when you are tempted to pull back, and you will be, remember that you have God's power at work within you. It was God's power that planted this church. It has been God's power that has grown and nurtured and matured this church. It is power, His power at work within you that renews you and leads you into a world which our Lord described as harassed and helpless. And into that world, with God's power, we go, in the words of the hymn, lifting high the cross, which is making Christ's appeal. And what is Christ's appeal? It's as simple as come home. Come home to the Father. God's given us His power. He's also given us His promises. Verse 4, He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. I meet Christians with some regularity. I don't know if this is a low country thing or a St. Andrews thing, but I meet Christians that are afraid to write in their Bibles. My Bibles are kind of roadmaps in my life. I have a travel Bible, so dated today is your church in here in this text, so I know what text I preached in different churches. Ask questions of the text. He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. Here's a question. What promises? What promises has God granted to us? Well, how about a promise of forgiveness and a promise to be with us, a promise to share with us Peter will tell us his divine nature, a promise to work out his salvation in our lives. 
and to bring all the facets of salvation that accompany it. So healing and reconciliation and transformation. And at the last, we're told a promise of heaven. He has granted to us his great promises, his very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Friends, God's provision for you includes his power and his promise and the partaking of the divine nature, right? This is why Jesus Christ will speak so confidently and so expectantly that we, those who dwell in Christ, those whose lives are hidden in Christ, it's why he speaks so confidently that we will produce fruit because God intends for us to produce fruit. And the life of Christ dwelling in us naturally produces fruit. God elects us. He calls us. He gives to us His promise and His power. He preserves us. And in the end, He welcomes us into that place where Christ has gone to prepare for us. And this is what is ours. This is what is yours if you are in Christ Jesus. And so if this is true, and it is, why are so many Christians and churches in the West living unfruitful, ineffective, in Peter's language, nearsighted kind of lives? And I want to suggest that a fundamental problem in the church today is the absence of a little phrase found in verse 5. Make every effort. For this reason, make every effort. King James says giving all diligence. New American Standard says applying all diligence. And that stands in stark contrast to the predominant view of the Christian life in the West, which is really more of a lucky charm, magical view of the Christian faith, right? A view that says, as long as I've accepted Jesus, as long as I've raised my hand, walked the aisle, prayed the prayer, whatever it is you did when you came to faith in Christ, as long as I've done that, all the rest just follows magically. It just happens. Just accept Jesus and all the rest magically happens. And that's the way many people live the Christian life. A magical, not a biblical perspective, right? Maturity just happens. Fruitfulness just happens. You're living a low life in the shadows, flitting around the edges of the church, and one day you're just going to wake up and there's going to be a breakthrough. And you'll have a deep and satisfying, fruitful spiritual life. And when it doesn't happen, what happens? When folks do not magically receive a fruitful life, an abundant life, a rich life, what happens? What happens is this. Well, I tried Christianity. It just didn't work for me. I wasn't any more peaceful. My marriage wasn't any better. My kids certainly weren't any better. My job didn't get better. I tried it for a while, but it, eh, it's, it's good for you. It just didn't work for me. And then they walk away. And they are walking away. And sociologists are documenting that they're walking away. They're called the nuns, not the N-U-N-S, but the N-O-N-E-S. Those who have walked away from church and now have claimed no religious affiliation. But some, for whatever reason, stay within the church. And when they find out that the magical view of the Christian life fails to produce any lasting fruit in their life, they conclude it's probably just not possible to have the kind of life that Scripture says is ours in Christ. And so what do they do? Well, they fake it. They still play the church game. The church becomes a little more than a social club or social advocacy agency. 
All the while, there remains a deep cleavage in their soul. Friends, a magical view of the Christian life can only produce disappointment and discontent. Because a magical view misses the phrase in verse 5, make every effort. So how do I grow in maturity? How do we live as genuine disciples? We make every effort, right? Now pause here because I want you to hear what I'm not saying, right? You hear the phrase, make every effort, and you think I'm advocating some kind of works righteousness, but I'm not. I am not talking about you earning your salvation whatsoever. That is a free gift of God. I'm not talking about a works righteousness. I'm talking about what the Apostle Paul will call training in righteousness. In May of 2020, I began five months of physical, occupational, and speech therapy. Gave way to a gym membership and a personal trainer. Two days a week, one hour a day, my trainer destroys me, tears me up. Three days a week, I go to the gym for an hour and 20 minutes. Five days a week, for the past 31 months, I have expended a great deal of energy. I make every effort to train and discipline my body. Because if I did not make every effort, I A, would have never recovered, and B, I would be unwell. And if this is true in the natural world, and here's another quirk of the Christian faith, we so often separate the natural from the supernatural. And if these things are true in the natural world, why would we think it would be any different in the spiritual world? And so Peter tells us to make every effort. Paul talks to us about training in righteousness. And your training begins with having Jesus Christ at the center of your life because we need his divine power. We need his promises. We need his word at the center of our lives. There is no participation in the divine life if Jesus Christ is not at the center of our being. No religious practice, no spiritual discipline, no lovely liturgy will affect any change within us unless Christ Jesus dwells within us by his spirit. Now to live a fruitful Christian life we need more than our own wisdom. We need more than self-help books. We need more than three steps to religious maturity. I was in Barnes & Noble some time ago, and a young woman was standing in line with me. I mean, she had an armful of books, and binders were out, so I could scan them while we were waiting in line. And all of them were about creating your own God, finding your own pathway to God. And I crossed a point somewhere in the last few years where I'm just more willing to say something than I might have been before. <laughs> I said, I can save you a lot of time and money. I said, because if you're reading books on how to create your own God, you will create a God in your own image. And you will be God. I said, but I know a guy named Jesus. And I talked to her about, she still bought the books. <laughs> but it's true. We need a deep knowledge of Scripture. We need a deep understanding of the Christian faith and how to work it out in the circumstances of our life. We need to be in relationship with one another. You will not be able to live a fruitful Christian life alone because one hour in church on a Sunday morning and 167 hours out there in the world will not cut it. You cannot live in this culture and succeed alone. 
We need deep, meaningful relationships with one another. We need small groups to gather around God's word, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to rejoice. It's so ironic how ready are we are as Christians to weep with those who weep, but how difficult it still remains for us to rejoice with those who rejoice. Ah, he's just boasting. Well, who do you share your good news with? And who can tell you well done when you really did do a good job? Participation in divine life involves the growth of a compassionate life, right? A life in which you reach out to people in ministry, especially to the poor. Yes, the materially poor, but also the spiritually poor. My parish is in the old village of Mount Pleasant. There are no down and outers in the old village of Mount Pleasant. But there's a lot of up and outers in the old village. As far from Christ as anyone. And all their money and all their possessions cannot fill the cleavage within their soul. It means experiencing the Holy Spirit, right? Moving in spiritual gifts, prophecy, words of knowledge, healing. The church has separated too often word from spirit, but they're meant to go together. One of my professors at seminary often said, to have the word without the spirit is to dry up. To have the spirit without the word is to blow up. To have the word and the spirit is to grow up. A genuine, fruitful, spiritual life involves the integration of our Christian life with every dimension of our lives. Our work life, our family life, our relationships, our extended family, our friends. It affects even our money and time management. You cannot follow Christ as a maturing disciple unless you're involved in Christ's mission to this world. To seek and to save the lost. We don't have our own mission. We have His mission. And so it involves an evangelistic life, sharing our faith locally, participating in global missions. The life of the disciple involves growing in holiness, involves bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Now again, a word of caution, because you can hear me say all this, and you can walk out and give yourself over to works righteousness. You can mishear me, intentionally or unintentionally, you can mishear Peter. The effort we expend is not to earn our salvation. The effort we expend is to work out our salvation. It's about going deeper in God. It's about placing ourselves before God so that He can work within us the life of His kingdom. Somewhere along the line, I discovered I can have more or less of God. You can have more or less of faith. You can move forward or backward in your character, but there's only one way forward. And that's to make every effort. And again, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about being partakers of the divine nature. I'll come full circle and we'll close like this. I want you to know the joy and satisfaction of knowing Jesus. I want you to know the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit at work within your life. I want you to experience a sense of security in the closeness of your Heavenly Father. I want you to be part of a church where you're known and loved by others. I want you to experience the wonder of the Lord's pleasure in you as you reach beyond what's comfortable to those He brings across your path. 
I want this church to be a place where you can hear again and again in word and in sacrament the assurance that is given to you that as you navigate this life, no matter what may befall you, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. This is my prayer for you. That this church, a city on a hill, a lamp on a stand, illumined by God's Word, empowered by His Spirit, nourished by His sacrament, confident of His power at work in you, and buoyed by His promises, would fill and flood this community with the good news of Jesus Christ. We ask these things for the glory of Christ. Amen.